0: Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 9 this morning. It was suggested to me to teach from James chapter 4, verse 8, where James declares, uh, wash your hands, you sinners. But I am uh, refraining from that good-natured suggestion. And uh, we'll go into Acts chapter 9. Don't lose your sense of humor. Listen uh, in, in everything. We can uh, take everything seriously and have a good sense of humor. Uh, if you're with us uh, uh, today and uh, you don't have a Bible, uh, sorry, the guys already walked past you. And, uh, but uh, they'll come back. Uh, just raise your hand and they'll put a Bible in your hand uh, this morning. And uh, so you can read along with what's being taught. If you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join, and this is Paul, tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he, that is Paul, had seen the Lord on the road, the road to Damascus, and that he, he, the Lord, had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly, Paul did, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him, that is Paul, down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus, his hometown. And then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Let's pray together now. Father, we are always um, thankful that the anchor holds within the veil we are always thankful that you have brought a foundation into our lives a stability into our lives that we would never otherwise know and it is during extraordinary times like this that we recognize as the whole world is in washing back and forth to and fro the chaos of things and and all that is happening and the panic that is so often represented today. We're so thankful for that, that stability, that rock, that solid thing that our lives are built upon. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you for our Savior today who has made all of this possible. And Lord, we thank you that come what may in life and come what is in life that it is well with our soul. Thank you for the deep, deep, eternal, divine sources of joy and peace and power uh, that you have given to us as your children. And we thank you this morning in the name of the one who made it possible, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Concerning the context of our passage here this morning, Paul uh, is at this point in time, in terms of his history as it's recorded in the Bible, is simply the absolute last human being uh, anybody in the world uh, thought would ever become a Christian. And he is now, by the time you come in the book of Acts to chapter nine, he has been converted following his uh, Damascus Road encounter with the Lord Jesus himself. By the time uh, of of the events of of chapter 9, he has now been engaged in a three-year period of preparation by the Holy Spirit for God's call upon his life. That preparation occurred, as we know, from elsewhere in the New Testament in uh, the area of Arabia. And so, these three years that have been, Paul has uh, lived uh, solitary in this regard as God has given him uh, uh, the ability now to learn the fullness of what would be the message for the rest of his life, and that is the gospel. And then, in addition to all of that happening in the three years, there was the preparation of Paul's character so that it, when he be finally began his public ministry, he would have a heart of love. He would have a heart uh, of uh, of kindness. He would be a gracious person uh, in order that uh, he would be able not only to carry a message of grace and love and forgiveness from God, but that he would carry it uh, himself being uh, a messenger who had been already deeply impacted and conformed by Uh, those things. And now in our text, Paul returns to the city of Jerusalem. And he does so for the first time since becoming saved. So he's been absent from Jerusalem now for three years. And the last time anyone had seen him in Jerusalem, uh, he had been a a frenzy. He had been a, a tasmanian devil of activity of just uh, breathing out threats and murders against every christian in the city of jerusalem he was wreaking havoc upon any home churches all churches the homes of of christians in the entire city imagine he was uh, beating down doors of individual homes where christians lived and entering in i mean this is the apostle paul that we love and we respect Uh, following his conversion, but never minimized what he was and would have always remained apart from that salvation. Imagine the, the arrogance, the pride, independent even of the violence of his heart, of beating down the door of another man's house and going in and taking that man uh, by mob, and then taking his wife and his children and putting them in chains and imprisoning uh, them. And the language that's used to describe that period in Paul's life in the book of Acts, the Greek language that is used is language that is used for a wild animal, a bloodthirsty, savage animal. And that's what the Apostle Paul was. This bloodthirsty, crazed, uh, wild animal in religious garb. And then, unsatisfied with all of the persecution that he meted out against the Christians in Jerusalem, uh, only creating a greater bloodlust within him, he determined to wreak havoc among the Christians in the city of uh, Damascus. And uh, and, and, uh, intent upon going there and and entering every house and dragging people out of of those cities and their homes uh, as well. And he pinpointed Damascus as the place to continue this uh, savagery of of his. And and his stay now in, in Jerusalem, as it's described here, and of course, he gets saved. On, while making that trip to the city of Damascus. And all of this has happened three years earlier. And now, in chapter 9, his stay in Jerusalem at that time, as we read it here, wouldn't be a long one, only about 15 days before the Lord would allow the persecution of the Hellenistic Jews in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, to rise up against Paul's preaching of Jesus as the Christ and as the Messiah and the Savior uh, of the world, and then them wanting to put him to death by virtue of his testimony to Jesus as the Messiah, that then uh, those in Jerusalem would direct Paul back home to Tarsus, his hometown, and uh, in all of it Uh, there as he goes back to Tarsus, and the events of of Jerusalem, all of it in preparation for the great events that would occur in his life associated with the city that he would end up landing in ultimately, and that was the city of Antioch. And from Antioch, he would go out on his three great missionary journeys. Antioch was the great missionary church of the uh, early church. And in fact, uh, as all of that is recorded uh, from chapter 11 on uh, in the book of Acts, those chapters from 11 on, it is Paul's ministry that dominates the book of Acts. But for our purposes here this morning, something very significant happened during Paul's visit in Jerusalem there, And uh, for that short period of time, something that the Holy Spirit records in these verses in order that uh, we and uh, Christians of every age would take note of and allow that lesson to become a part of our Christian lives as well. You notice in verse 26, the reaction of the disciples in Jerusalem toward Paul uh, was decidedly cool. And I can uh, 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 only imagine how emotional the journey must have been for Paul as he's making his way from Arabia now to uh, the city uh, of, of Jerusalem once again. On the way there, he goes into Damascus. He also passes by uh, the site of his very uh, conversion three years earlier. And as he comes into the city of Jerusalem, uh, all of those streets that he had been raised as a rabbi in, he had such significant history uh, in. All of those streets, the city itself, as he's approaching it, just would provoke incredible memories within him. Uh, Anybody that has ever taken a trip to Israel and has gone to Jerusalem knows that when you are on that plane flying home afterwards, uh, one of the things that you are thinking about is, how am I going to get back to Jerusalem? Uh, This is the hole that, that it... Uh, that it gains upon people and we don't have the kind of history that the Apostle Paul had with the city of, of Jerusalem and here he longs to come back into those familiar streets uh, uh, the streets that he had uh, walked on and invested his life in, in, in terms of for so uh, many years but there will also be uh, not merely good memories but strange memories hard memories bad memories and anybody who has ever regretted what we were before we became a Christian, now that we are a Christian, when we re-enter those same environments, know something about what those memories can, can do to us, as, as they were no doubt doing to Paul uh, as well. And three years earlier, before his conversion, here he is, the golden boy of the Jewish religious community. He is the tip of the spear in terms of the persecution uh, of Christians. He is the face of Christian uh, persecution in the city of of Jerusalem. And uh, as as he led that horrible uh, persecution of the churches there... And if he had come back into Jerusalem, the same man as, as when he left, uh, there would have been a thousand homes that would have opened up to him uh, who shared their same uh, rabid uh, hatred of this thing called Christianity. And if Paul had come back into Jerusalem, the man that he once was, all a thousand homes would have been opened up to him they would have longed for his presence. They would have welcomed him into, into their homes and, and counted it an honor to show him hospitality. Not a thousand homes, ten thousand homes within, within that, uh, that city. But now Paul, uh, he knew better than to expect anything but rejection or anything uh, but hostility from uh, his former peers and his former friends. Uh, his former Jewish allies in that that persecution. But then on the other hand, uh, the Christians in Jerusalem, those that he he now loved with all of his heart, uh, the Christians that now he wanted to spend his time uh, with them, that's who he wanted to associate with. They haven't forgotten what he did three years earlier and that crushing persecution against them, uh, against their families, against their children, against every Christian. And as a result, upon entering Jerusalem, Paul was in a very lonely and a very vulnerable position, and he knew it. He was a man without a country. And I think that the great question that was probably uh, dominating his mind was how, uh, what, uh, how is Jerusalem uh, going to react to me uh, now? And we're not left to guess it, what the answer to that question would be, at least concerning the church and its uh, leadership there as it's recorded for us in verse 26. Their first reaction to Paul uh, were told is, was fear. Uh, they were afraid of him. Uh, their second reaction, we're also told there, was unbelief. And despite all of the reports that had gone out, you know, far and near... About the conversion of uh, Saul of Tarsus, uh, now Paul, uh, on that road to Damascus, and and there was a a, a significant portion of the Christians there, uh, and and perhaps universally, probably universally, of uh, the Christians there simply did not believe that the man who had once done what he had done to them uh, had really become a Christian. And, of course, their reaction was completely natural, uh, completely understandable. And the change that occurred in Paul's life was so dramatic that perhaps they thought, uh, as any one of us might, that he was up to something fishy here. Uh, that he was merely laying the groundwork for a second persecution. He's only coming back to Jerusalem now uh, to attend the various Christian home churches there in order to find out what are the addresses of them, who are the people that are attending them, what are their names, so that he can then unleash a second great uh, persecution uh, 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 against them there in the city. And so here Paul stands in the city of his former Uh, glory and he is a man who as he enters the city of Jerusalem it is uh, unknown to him in in terms of its fullness he's a man with an absolutely astonishing future in terms of ministry and in terms of impact for the kingdom of God all of it lays immediately in front of him And and it is a ministry that God was calling him to that would last almost 30 uh, years and, and, and impact the entire world. And yet presently, he's the most friendless man in all of Jerusalem. And then you notice in verse 27, the first two words of verse 27, and that is the words, but Barnabas. And uh, that word "bud" is a very interesting word to notice in the, the study uh, of, of the Bible. I think that Pastor Romaine, who was assistant pastor to Chuck Smith for so many years, both of them now enjoying the full glory of heaven. But Romaine used to talk about uh, the fact that when people would come in for counseling and uh, maybe a husband and wife, he did a lot of marriage counseling, and people would begin to lay out their story and this and that and the whole thing and lay the thing out, and he would listen to all of it, but he would wait till he heard the word, but. And the moment that he heard the word, but, he realized, now this is the real issue. Uh, None of the rest of it was the real issue. This is the real issue. And so often in that kind of a context, and in life the word but means exactly that. Forget everything I've just said. Now this is uh, the real uh, gist of, uh, of the matter uh, here. And when it says but Barnabas, the idea is now here is Barnabas in contrast to uh, the reaction of all of the other Christians, uh, including the apostles, um, to uh, the apostle Paul. And while their reaction uh, in terms of the apostles and the church at large was completely understandable, I mean, absolutely natural. I mean, who couldn't understand that? But in Barnabas, there was one person on the scene in Jerusalem, and it's only one that we know of, uh, whose reaction was supernatural to, to, uh, uh, to Paul. But Barnabas... Verse 27, he wasn't fearful, he wasn't unbelieving, and Barnabas were told there he brought Paul to the apostles and then uh, even spoke for Paul before the apostles, told them his testimony about how he had been converted on the road to Damascus, told him about his immediate preaching, Christ in the city of Damascus before then going into Arabia for three years and then making his way back into Damascus on the way to Jerusalem and the effectiveness of his uh, preaching there in the city of of Damascus. And as a result of this testimonial, this endorsement by uh, Barnabas, Paul was accepted into fellowship uh, there in Jerusalem as a Christian brother. I, I like what the, the famous uh, pastor and author Alexander White uh, long, long ago in heaven but his, his works uh, remain in print but I like what he wrote of, of this. He wrote Barnabas alone of all the disciples and apostles in Jerusalem opened his door to Paul. Barnabas alone held out his hand to Paul. Barnabas alone believed Paul's wonderful story of his conversion and baptism. Barnabas alone rejoiced in God's saving mercy to Paul's soul. And when all Jerusalem uh, were still casting stones at him, Barnabas was the first man of influence and responsibility to open his heart and his home to him. And then here is the line. Many would do so later when it would mean far less barnabas did so when the risk was greatest he risked his name reputation position everything and then alexander white commends barnabas in his commentary everlasting well done thou true son of consolation and the name barnabas means son of consolation And that statement by Alexander White speaks very, very powerfully to the scene that we're looking at here in in, in, uh, the book of Acts. We might have ended up with a very different book of Acts uh, apart from this encouragement by Barnabas as it was extended to uh, Paul. A very different book of Acts without this very, very strategic act of kindness on the part of Barnabas directed toward Paul. And I don't think that Paul ever forgot that early encouragement from Barnabas, because I don't think any of us do when we experience it in life. And I think that each of us can think of times in our lives, in our Christian lives and ministries as well, when some act of kindness, some word of encouragement at just the right time made all of the difference. And we tend to remember those things when we are in certain circumstances because they're even more powerful than they would be under uh, ordinary circumstances. Now I think each of us remembers very well those people who helped us at strategic times in our lives, vulnerable times in our lives, those who come alongside us to help just with just the needed kindness and encouragement. Allow me a couple of uh, illustrations in this vein of the power of this kind of thing. When he, he was a young boy, the, of course, now famous North American artist, Benjamin West, uh, he decided to paint a picture of his sister uh, while his mother was uh, not at home. And so he got out the bottles of ink and he started and uh, pretty soon uh, everything was just a mess. And his mother eventually returned home and, of course, uh, like any mother, she noticed the mess immediately. But instead of scolding him, She picked up the portrait and declared, what a beautiful picture of your sister. And then she proceeded to kiss him. And years later in his life, after he had become famous, he declared, with that kiss, I became a painter. And that's the power of it. Daniel Webster, not talking about Noah Webster, who is the dictionary Webster, But Daniel Webster was one of the greatest statesmen in the history of the United States of America. And uh, he uh, left his uh, country home and he went to Boston to study law. And when he arrived in Boston, uh, he entered in without invitation into uh, the offices of a Christopher Gore, who was then head of the Massachusetts Bar and he began to work away there and toil there but always he was overlooked as an intruder uh, in in, into the situation nobody paid any real attention to him until one day a gentleman by the name of rufus king uh, saw him in all of his loneliness and in all of his solitariness and uh, he came up to daniel webster and he warmly shook his hand and he said I know your father well. Uh, Be studious and you will win. And if you need any assistance or advice, come to me. And years later, after Daniel Webster had achieved greatness, he said, I can still feel the warm pressure of that hand and hear those challenging words of encouragement. And extending an encouragement or an act of kindness to someone during a time of need or vulnerability is always, always very, very powerful stuff. And I think about the Lord in this regard. It didn't merely mark his teaching. It marked his life. The Bible records of him that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. There's not a Christian in this room. There's not a Christian in this world that hasn't experienced that. At some moment or time of our failure or some uh, depression within our life or some extraordinary circumstance within our life where it would have uh, taken the, uh, just the slightest bit of displeasure from, the God, from God, the slightest uh, five minutes of shunning on his uh, part toward us. There we were, the bruised reed. He could have broken us in an instant, and then he didn't. The smoking flax, he could have put it out in an instant in our lives, and yet he didn't, and he doesn't. And when he rec- we recognize that grace, those acts of kindness, that encouragement, we always notice it. And the effect is to cause us to love him even more. And we recognize our own need so often for encouragement. We recognize our own need, neediness, for acts of kindness uh, uh, on the part of others uh, toward us. And that's okay. But it's important that we don't forget that the powerful thing that they are in our lives, they are in every other human life as well. Everyone else in the world uh, craves them, needs them, is hungry for them as much as, as we are. And, and they will have the same powerful impact when we extend those things into their lives. One of the interesting things to me about this incident in Paul's life is the fact that he would never again need the kind of help Barnabas offered to him at that strategic moment in time in his life and in his ministry. Because God very, very soon was going to raise the apo- Paul up to a place of literally indescribable greatness. Not only in the kingdom of God, but in human history. No list of the top ten and most impactful people in the history of the world is being honest if the Apostle Paul is not on that list, even a secular list. God had incredible plans in the future for Paul. And that opportunity presented to Barnabas to help Paul It was a very short and very strategic one. Literally the opportunity uh, was there one day and would have been gone the next. And that's exactly uh, the way it goes in life. I don't know what it's like uh, for you where you have these opportunities to do good, this opportunity to do something in a situation. And how uh, quickly they present themselves. And sometimes there's just 30 seconds to, to grab the opportunity and make something of it. Sometimes there's uh, only an hour. Sometimes there's only a day. They rise up, they present themselves to us, and then they're gone just as quickly. And I hope I'm not alone. I don't think I'm alone. When I can look back over now decades of a Christian life and remember opportunities that presented themselves to me and because i was too busy at the moment or my priorities were out of whack or whatever it might be i missed the opportunity to be used by god in that situation in that person's life and then to see it further down the line and to realize that was a perfect moment that he presented to me and i missed it And then the regret that comes uh, with that in our hearts as people who want to be used by God in that way. And one of the keys to being deeply influential in life as a Christian is to recognize those fleeting moments of opportunity by the Holy Spirit and to recognize how valuable they are and then to seize them fully when they present themselves to us for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so this morning, as Christians, we find ourselves in a world that is engulfed in the coronavirus pandemic. That is the reality of the world in which we live. And one day it's going to pass, It will pass, and everyone will be relieved when it does. But it's important to remember as Christians that when it passes, that the unique and strategic opportunity that it presents to us as Christians will pass as well. And it is at extraordinary times like this that we can uniquely as the light of the world, shine at our brightest and to our greatest effect. And I think you would agree with me, certainly those of you who are a little bit older, that typically in the course of our three score and ten or whatever it might be, the length of our life, that typically each of us will only get two, three, four, five opportunities like this presented to us in the course of our lifetime. Opportunities for our friends and our families and our parents, our children, our co-workers, our fellow students, our fellow citizens, even perfect strangers, to see as clearly as they will now the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And one day when all of this passes, as Christians, we will not want to look back on it and say merely, we survived it. We got through it. I got my rice and beans and hand sanitizers and toilet paper before everybody else did. Or I didn't get the virus and all of the I, I, I and the we, we, we uh, that can come with this kind of thing. Because if that's all we accomplish as God's people in the midst of this crisis, we will have squandered a strategic opportunity to impact others through this other-centered encouragements and acts of kindness that the Lord wants to do through our lives in a way that we will maybe never quite have the same opportunity to do so uh, again in terms of them uh, seeing these things, these things having that kind of impact uh, in their lives. And for these things to impact them in a way that they will never forget. And it doesn't take anything major. It's amazing how powerful small things can be when the Holy Spirit adds his witness to it. It can just be to look in on someone who's alone. Or to call someone to pray with them. Or to run an errand for someone who can't. Uh, do so to buy some extra groceries for someone that's in a, a pinch in all of this to just hold the door open at a store when everyone's rushing in and you know that you're opening up the door to allow someone to go into the store before you who is probably after the last package of rice that you're after but just to smile just to be polite just to be courteous just to exhibit joy is a powerful, powerful stuff in a time like this. And, so, and, and to go about our lives as Christians with that joy and that hope present in our lives that, is, that would otherwise be completely absent in the family gatherings and in the school classroom and uh, wherever we might find ourselves in life. And to just simply show some extra patience and compassion and love toward people. And that's powerful stuff in the hands of the Holy Spirit. I have to remind myself that not everybody in the world is a Christian. And they're not operating and processing any of this with the kind of hope or perspective that I possess. And to be patient with them and understanding that. Sometimes it can be very, very ugly. But there's a place for compassion in it as well. As opposed to responding uh, so often as so many are now with suspicion toward one another, they're the competition to get the last whatever it might be, or selfishness or panic or fear, all of these things that are so around us and have the potential to become even greater in coming days. So let's be careful of fear. Let's be careful of greed. Those two emotions are the easiest emotions in the world. Maybe next, only lust can, uh, is on a par with them for being manipulated by the world and the flesh and the devil and taking us into places and to doing things that we will deeply, deeply regret and in some way mar our Christian witness in this season. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He didn't just tell him that we're not given a spirit of fear or timidity. He went on to speak about what is to be in place in our lives where fear wants to make a stronghold. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and a disciplined mind. It also does me good at a time like this, and really any time in life, uh, to re-read and be reminded of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, there is uh, no law. Again, one day, all of this is going to pass. And what we want as Christians, what we will long for in that day is to be able to look back upon it as a strategic moment in human history that was entrusted to us by God and then during which we took full advantage of it as an opportunity to share the gospel with people, the reason for our peace, the reason for our hope, the source of our joy as we're facing all of the same things that they are as well. And then also to be God's eyes, His ears, His mouth, his hands, His feet, the body of Christ in the midst of all of the great need that is around us now and will be around us in a greater measure as things progress. As opposed to coming to the end of all of this and looking back and being confronted with the fact that we have frittered away by being completely consumed about the we and the I, just like everyone else. And that is a feeling of deep regret that all of us want to avoid. In this vein, Jesus taught when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? And he answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so may God give each of us the the sensitivity of Barnabas in all of this, who knew the power of truth, the power of an encouragement, and the power of an act of kindness, and a strategic time of need and it can change a life and it did change a life in the apostle paul it can change a future in a person's life and i don't share what i've shared here this morning to is just kind of some kind of a trite answer to the hardship that surely lies before the world yet today, and our country, and our state, and our county, in all of this. Um, And I don't say these things this morning because I don't think you already know them. I'm not preaching down to anyone. I share them this morning because I felt that's what God wanted me to share. It'll be very interesting if you're like me and you go online and download sermons and listen different things to see all of the different places in the Bible that God will take all of the pastors of these various congregations and deliver a word to those congregations in the light of these circumstances. But this is where uh, the Lord, I felt the Lord uh, would direct me. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, your greatest danger is not the coronavirus. Not even remotely is that your greatest danger. Your greatest danger is a danger that you have lived with day in and day out up to this moment, and that is to be in the world without God. That's the truly dangerous condition the most dangerous condition any human being can be in. And if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and become a Christian, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up front immediately after the service, and they and we would love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God this morning. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, we'd love to pray with you and to pray for you as well. I know that uh, each of us are praying fervently and individually for all of the various issues that surround <clears throat> this pan, uh, pandemic. But I did want to spend a few minutes this morning uh, agreeing for us as a church body to agree in prayer and to begin uh, to uh, impact the situation locally and around the world through, uh, through prayer and doing it corporately Uh, this morning as uh, as we uh, close the service ultimately with a a worship song and a dismissal. This is a time to pray and to pray and to pray and then pray some more. And to pray for everything that we watch on television and we see on the news and every bit of, I mean, we'll all go into a panic attack based upon, or on the internet, or, or on the radio, or whatever it, 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 it might be, and to allow whatever it is that's being said to become a prayer point now for that situation, for yourself, for your family, for our city, for our county, for the nation, for the world, and, uh, and to pray and pray and pray, and then pray some more. And, and I have listed a, 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 some, a few prayer things that I'd like to just pray for us as a body and you just agree in prayer. And I've listed them, it's kind of, I, I don't do it this, uh, very often this way. Um, normally I don't pray with that kind of a list. I do have a list, well enough about my problems. Uh, but uh, if I just start praying, it, it just becomes this stream of consciousness and I ultimately get to everything on my prayer list but it won't make any sense to you so we'll be a little bit more ordered in this and so let's let's as a church family and as a church body let's let's lift up this prayer to the Lord uh, now Lord we pray and we ask for your grace to abound toward your creation in the midst of this great trial that we find ourselves in And Lord, in this day in which we, in all of our arrogance and all of our pride that is so often on full display in so many all around the world, uh, day in and day out, we pray that as all of us are confronted as human beings, as your creation with our frailty and our powerlessness and the face of this just this one thing that you would look upon us, Lord, uh, with grace and with favor and help us individually in the midst of this situation. We pray that you would use this time to draw many, many people to you all around the world, Lord, And we know that if you call us not to waste an opportunity, that you never will. We pray that the whole world would be confronted with how small we are, how powerless we are, and how in need of you we are, and to turn to you. Lord, we pray for your protection upon the most vulnerable and at risk concerning this disease And we ask, Lord, as you have such a heart for the weak, you have such a heart for the powerless, as we see all through your word, that you would step in in their fears and in their concerns and in their needs, and that you would step in and you would protect them in the middle of this pandemic. We pray also for your divine protection upon each one of our individual lives in this room here today. We're not afraid to ask for it, Lord, that you would protect our health and our ability to be used by you fully in the midst of all of this. And we pray the same for our family and for our friends. Lord, we pray that you would give divine wisdom to the medical community as they're looking to try and produce vaccine concerning this, trying to bring other things online that will be helpful in treating people. We pray that you would bless them with your grace and your revelation for just what this vaccine or treatment might look like that is way beyond their training and way beyond their expertise as a source. And we pray also that for proper medical care and healing of uh, the victims who have already contracted the disease and especially those who are in real trouble, Lord, with, with the disease and the hospitalizations and all, not just here, but all around the world. We pray for your healing power to be upon their lives and a strong sense of your presence uh, in their lives for those that know you and they love you. We pray also that you would give our government leaders wisdom in their decision-making. We can't imagine the responsibility that weighs upon them to make decisions that affect millions and millions and tens of thousands of people. And They're just human beings, you know that. And we pray that you would supply them with supernatural wisdom and discernment in all of their decision-making at this time. We pray also for our health community, for protection of our medical community, our first responders, the doctors, the nurses, everyone in the medical profession that now is the thin white line on all of this. And we pray that you would protect their health, that you would give them stamina, that you would give them strength, Lord, and that you would give them all that they will need from you in order to uh, fulfill this uh, responsibility that is landed so forcibly before them and will in an ever greater measure in, in days to come. And protect these people, Lord. Bless these people, we pray. We pray for calmness in our community. We pray that you would stem any panic or any hoarding in the coming days. And we pray for us in the light of your word this morning as Christians, that you would help us, help us, help us, help us not to fritter away this opportunity to be used by you in some large or small way for your glory, Lord, and for your purposes in your work, your desires in the midst of all of this and the places that you have put us and strategically placed us in life. We also pray that you would help every Christian, ourselves included, to be quick to share your gospel to not keep a secret the source of our our peace and of our joy and uh, uh, of, uh, of the stability that you have brought into our lives, and we pray that, as we would share the gospel, that it would um, that, that the circumstances would give it a hearing, Lord, and a consideration and to be believed upon in a way that someone might not under different circumstances. And Lord, we um, pray that you would uh, anoint us and bless us individually in your calling upon our lives in the coming days, each of us in this room and, and beyond. We surrender our lives to you. We want to be used by you. We don't want to miss a single strategic moment. And we pray for you to anoint us by your Holy Spirit to give us a sensitivity to what you're putting before us and that you would grace us to be able to model a different kingdom in the middle of this kingdom, and to do so for your glory. And before I close here in prayer this morning, I just want to give you a minute in your own personal heart to maybe pray for someone, pray for yourself on something. Maybe you haven't prayed for yourself yet in all of this, some need that you have, some vulnerability, or someone in your family, some parent you're concerned about, or some other aspect of, of all of this that is on your heart, and, uh, but I haven't prayed for. Let's just silently take a, a moment here for you to lift that up to the Lord from this place as well. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Damian Kyle. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Damian's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.